Hey everyone, it's John. Um, the Bop Squad just wanted to let all of you know um, how much we appreciate you listening to a, the podcast. Um, hopefully you are getting a lot of um, new intriguing ideas and some inspiration and um, just good content from our podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, there are different levels, whether that's a one-time gift or a monthly contribution, and the different levels have different perks associated with them, um, like early released episodes or some merchandise. Speaking of, you can go over to the Bop Shop at clinicalpopulations.threadless.com to check out some of our merch, which also is a way for you to support us. Um, I own two of our shirts, and they are my favorite shirts um, out of my wardrobe. They are so comfortable and soft and stylish, if I do say so myself. So um, consider checking out some of our merch. It really is good quality stuff. Um, All right, now to the show. Clinical. Clinical. Hello everybody, my name's Gabby. I'm Allison. And welcome to Clinical Populations. Introducing music therapists to new bops and new bops to music therapy. Oof. All right. So we, uh, before we introduce our guest for today's episode, we just want to thank everyone for being on board with us for 50 entire episodes of this Woo-hoo! podcast, which is... <laughs> Yes, my office is excited. I don't know what that is. Hang on. <laughs> Wait, was I you, Rob? No. <laughs> no, that wasn't me. Maybe that was uh, a, a sort of some sort of serendipitous fanfare, electronic fanfare. Right? I guess that was right? my alarm. I didn't know anybody else was in the building. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> like a burglar, like a burglar alarm? Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> oh, Luckily, right. I have a pad in here too, so I just turned it off. <laughs> nice. So now going into the episode for today, we have Rob Carley. All right. (laughs) Welcome. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to you guys. Um, I've I've recently uh, started listening to your podcast and um, yeah, you cover a lot of terrain. So I'm uh, I'm really curious to talk to you and talk a bit about music and, uh, you know, the, the power of music and music therapy and all kinds of stuff. I love that you actually listen to the podcast. I know. <laughs> that makes me very happy. I do my research. You know? Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I'm a new subscriber. <laughs> yes. Good to know you do your research. That's right. great. Well, congrats. I didn't realize it was 50. Um, well, we never realized we didn't either. this morning. <laughs> sort of 48, 45 maybe. Yeah. But 50 is uh, quite a landmark. So congratulations to, to you and your team. Thank you. On, uh, I, know, I know I know how much work it is to not only um, you know do the background research and to get guests, uh, but just to keep it going and to put the time in. And I, uh, I think it's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. So you got to make this a good episode. Then this better be a good interview. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> 
We say it's 49. That way I'm yeah, really- right. Yeah, <laughs> 49.5. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be something else. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm curious. So I know that the Awesome Music Project, which you are a part of, um, talks a lot about stories, songs, and science. And so my question for you is, what is your music story? Well, that's a g- great question right off the top. I mean, I had a lot of them. So... I should perhaps give a little bit of context. Um, you, you know, you're right. The uh, the Awesome Music Project, uh, which uh, I'll get into a little bit of backstory later, but it started off as a book of stories about the power of music, about the healing power of music, um, as told by people from coast to coast, from all kinds of different walks of life. Um, some of them very famous people like Sarah McLaughlin or Michael Bublé or Chris Hatfield, who's a well-known astronaut up here in Canada. Mm. Um, and then, you know, many not famous people, just regular, uh, you know, uh, healthcare workers or um, cab drivers or your next door neighbor. And so it's funny you ask that question because I often get asked that question. What's my music story? And my music story was was as a part of the book um, was included. Uh, but then we, we ran out of room because of the hate count. Oh, no. So, well, oh, no. Oh, we no. could have collected more stories, but... Um, we wanted to cap it off. And so um, both Terry Stewart, the co-founder of the Austin Music Project, and myself felt it best to extract our stories. So they're not in the published version, but I have a lot of music stories. And, and really, I mean, the one that I had in the book had to deal with um, that time. You know, I went to, to music school and, so, you know, uh, post-secondary uh, university here in Toronto. And... Um, you know, that time sort of after you're graduated and you're sort of discovering uh, your your new life, if you will, or you're trying mm-hmm. to just figure out what you're going to do and, you know, you maybe start relationships. And at the time, um, I started, I met a woman in the Toronto Symphony who's a violinist who's now my wife. And at the time, you know, I was getting to know her and getting to know her record collection. And I was, my story dealt with how you get to know somebody and, you know, fall in love with somebody and get to know, you know, their their story uh, through their record collection and how, you know, it's kind of funny because these days we don't necessarily have record collections. I still have vinyl, but yeah, I know a lot of people, <laughs> their house, uh, if they're of a certain age, you're not going to see a lot of um, tangible evidence that they have a music collection. Now, I suppose, <laughs> I guess we have playlists and I guess you can sort of share those kinds of things. But the idea of, of discovering, um, you know, um, more about a person through through their music. So, you know, I, I she, as I said, she's a violinist and she had a lot of chamber music that I wasn't familiar mm. with. And so I just discovered a whole p- pile of new uh, trios like Schubert trios and Mendelssohn trios. I guess I knew, I knew some of them, but I just didn't have um, the knowledge of all of the string repertoire. And so I uh, dove in and uh, that was my music story it was because in, in, you know, coincident with, uh, falling in love with this music, I was falling in love with this woman. Mm. Beautiful. Oh, my children. And um, is wondering why I'm not going for ice cream right now. That's <laughs> Some things are more important than ice cream. <laughs> so that that's that's my music story, really. Oh. Or many of them. I shouldn't say my. I mean, I have like I said, I have so many of them. And I think you know, it's funny when we when we created the book. Um, it also, I'll give you the reason why we, we did it. We'll get into that. But, you know, we went off and solicited stories from people and asked them, you know, what's your music story? The idea of, you know, do you have a, 
a song or a band or a record or a concert or a music memory that gives you comfort or reminds you of a person or a time or a place or, or just something. And we just tried to collect these stories um, as a way of reminding us of the, of the transformative power of music to sort of heal us mm-hmm. and to, to let us escape sometimes. Or even, you know, I always like to think of, of music as being like a time machine. You know, you can mm-hmm. really travel um, back to your childhood or, you know, to a different era completely, or maybe, you know, historically when you didn't even live, you can listen to music in a different way. Mm-hmm. And in that way, I mean, it has a real therapeutic quality um, in, in the way that it sort of, it can distract you. It can, it can give you um, some freedom. It can give you some escape from whatever. So that's, you know, something that I strongly believe in. And uh, that's, that's kind of, Related to the uh, the impetus of why we started the Awesome Music Project to begin with. Yeah. Oh, that's so wonderful. I think that is one of my favorite parts of, of what I do as a music therapist is hearing people's music stories and the ways that we um, connect with each other, even though we all have our different connection with music and our different stories, there's always some kind of common thread of yeah. connects us with a time, place, person, whatever. Um, and just how by hearing other people's music stories, you just feel like you know them a little bit more. Uh, you get to know yeah. them on a deeper level. So I love it's, your story. I mean, the power of those stories. You know, one of the things we did, so, you know, we're a charity and we raise money for music therapy programs and research across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk a bit about that later, but um, one of the f- initial vehicles, besides the book itself and the sales of the book, one of the, the vehicles we used to raise funds and to, you know, awareness and to have people um, sort of celebrate what we were doing was we'd have events where we would have, and we call them stories, songs, and science. And I think you made a reference to that at the beginning of, of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was kind of just an idea of let's take the book and, and try to um, bring it to life in mm-hmm. some way. And so what we did was we had a storyteller. We had a number of storytellers. We had a storyteller get up to read their story. And then a singer songwriter or musician would perform this, the music from that story. And then a neuroscientist or music therapist or psychologist would get up and give a little um, sort of mini Ted talk on what's happening to your brain. And we did that a few times nice. uh, in, over the course of an evening. And they were just beautiful, powerful moments you know, everything from moments of joy uh, to some real trauma too. It was yeah. there was some real, you know, I, I I can remember some of the stories and they were just so powerful. Um, I can tell you one of them. This comes to mind because I, I just have the book here, and this fellow's in the book. His name is um, a Lieutenant Shakir Godi, and he was in the Canadian Armed Forces in Haiti. If you guys remember, back in 2010, there was a big earthquake in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was down there stationed, and he wasn't there for the earthquake. He was there um, uh, d- doing other work uh, for the Canadian Armed Forces. And the, the earthquake happened, and he was trapped in a building um, for hours and under rubble, and he wasn't sure if he'd survive. And there's a song by the Bare-Naked Ladies called Lovers in a Dangerous Time. Mm-hmm. And so there's a line in that song that says, kicking at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. And he literally used that song and that, and that lyric to sort of give him, to keep him going and to, to you know, to, to use it as kind of like a, a meditation almost. Wow. And eventually, you know, he was freed, of course, and he, he lives to tell the story. So he told the story in his whole full um, army uniform um, and, and it was beautifully done. And then uh, the Berenice ladies, uh, Steve and Ed, uh, sorry, not Steve and Ed, um, Ed Robertson 
and uh, Jim Cregan from the band um, got up and sang that song. And everyone sang along, of course. And then we had uh, a neuroscientist come up and talk a little bit about just the psychology around all of that. So it was kind of a, you know, we, we felt it was like a little bit of a magical kind of evening and we've done it a few times since. And then of course we had a bunch of events planned for 2020. Um, oh, yeah. didn't happen. We know yeah. how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> we were going to come down almost to, almost to, to Nashville. We were on our way to oh. South by Southwest. Yeah. Um, oh. which is, you know, kind of on the way from Toronto, I guess. It's a little, <laughs> little roundabout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> to go to Austin for, for the big conference. And, you know, if you guys remember, like March of 2020, that was when, um, that's typically when South by South happens. It happens in the middle of the of March. Right. And everything was sort of happening really rapidly. Like things were closing and, you know, the NBA canceled all of the, all yes. of the basketball games one night. And we had our, t- and I think the, the festival was to start on a Friday and they hadn't made a decision. And then on the, the next day after the NBA canceled, everything, a lot of the theaters here in town were closing. A lot of the uh, ballet and the opera, they shut down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Broadway kind of went dark right yeah. after that. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, and then they announced that, you know, there was going to be no festival. Cause it was kind of like, as soon as it was almost like the dominoes started to fall really rapidly, as soon as a few things happened, cause you know, we didn't know what we were getting into and now right. we're kind of on the other side of it, I suppose. Uh, this is now, what is this? Um, July. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Want it. Like, you know, we've all learned a lot uh, about science, about ourselves, about pandemics, about um, zoom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Right. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah. About connection, so the importance to, of that. We hope to get back to the, yeah, we hope to get back to the concert hall eventually and get back to, you know, those kinds of events where mm-hmm. you can know, just share their stories and hear the music. At the same yeah. Time. You should bring it down yeah. to Nashville. I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to see that. That would I'd be love so to neat. Do that. You know, I was like, I was telling you just before we started to talk uh, the, on the podcast. I mean, I was in Nashville early in 2020, um, just before I was going to go to Austin. And, um, you know, I've got friends down there and, it's just a matter of finding the right storyteller and the exactly. right song. So many musicians in Nashville. I mean, it'd be so easy to find almost any song. And the, yeah. the beauty of this formula is that I like when you get a singer songwriter who's not going to necessarily sing that person's song. Right. So you, like, you know, imagine someone gets up and does a story about Johnny Cash. And obviously yeah. you're not going to get Johnny Cash to come in, but you can get <laughs> Lenny Kravitz covers Johnny Cash. Right. Yeah. So weird and different. And yeah. Curious. And I think everyone would be a little out of their comfort zone, but that's kind of part of the magic too. You know? yeah. 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 Oh, that would be so exciting. Yeah. When we're, we're going to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background as an artist and a composer. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, I always was fascinated by films and television and uh, well, mostly movies, cinema growing up. And uh, I grew up in Toronto. And um, so I went off to, to university to study composition. I was also a saxophone player. I still am. <gasps> yes. Hey, are you a sax player? Right on. Yeah. Wind, wind. yeah. <laughs> Today, you know, it's funny. I was on holidays um, for a couple of weeks and then I came back uh, and then the beginning of July and I had a pile of, of stuff. I had a number, a number of TV shows getting started. So there's all kinds of locked pictures coming in and scripts I had to read and, all, and just wiring the studio and getting ready to go. And I kind of didn't play my saxophone for a whole other week, which was weird. So that one had been like almost three weeks. 
and I, that's probably, you know, I don't usually go that long. And so, and they just sort of sat there and almost like, I'm not going to play today. I'm not going to play. And then today I had to do some recording and it was for clarinet. And so of all the instruments I had to play from the first one back. This moment, I actually haven't pulled out the saxophone yet. So anyway, I, I'm getting, I'm on a tangent. But the saxophone um, was my instrument, and then I studied composition. Mm. And then after graduating, I uh, I was really, like I said, I was always fascinated by music for media, as we say now, but mostly film music. And so I went and apprenticed with a um, a, a uh, renowned film composer here in Toronto, and then you know just started doing that kind of thing. And so I continue to do that as my main work although i still teach and i still perform a lot and i still make music you know outside of just film music like i do um some production and some i help i work with different artists um i'm not i you know i'm not a songwriter at all um i can help produce and i can help orchestrate and create arrangements but i'm terrible when it comes to to being a poet because i'm not so um i won't even try but i always like i guess i'm a good collaborator and that's sort of the nature of when you're doing that's important yeah. yeah, film music is really about collaboration. You're not really there to, to write music for yourself. You write, you're there to serve mm-hmm. a story. Exactly. And so that's kind of um, where I'm co- most comfortable, I think, is just sort of being in the background um, with letting the pictures do most of the lifting. Yeah. I think that's so interesting because with this project, the awesome music project, you're serving stories as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, I guess it's a kind of a coincidence. I mean, the idea that, you know, you use film music to manipulate emotions, if you will. And then we use, uh, you know, we use music in mm-hmm. either in, in music therapy or in just in, in our daily lives, right. I, I guess manipulates the wrong word, but to change our moods or to change our, our relationship to, to sound and to music and to motion and to dance and all those things. So it's, it's kind of, um, they're related in some mm. in, strange way i'm interested in how composing for film and tv works because i so i I went (laughs) yeah (laughs) right (laughs) um i like i went into music therapy for undergrad but i was considering for like a second doing like composition for film and tv i never did it but um yeah it's like i'm just so used to just like writing or composing you know for from what i feel or like yeah. for like with the class i'm working with or like if i'm collaborating with people like what are they trying to get out but like what yeah is it like they send you like a blank like just like movie without like any sound i, like- I mean there's two sides to it there's the technical side to it and that's sort of what you're alluding to there is the idea that you're going to get um, um you know footage without music and you're going to mm-hmm. have a discussion with the producers or the director and talk a bit about the sonic universe that you want to inhabit in this mm. work. It's mm-hmm. one half part of it. And the other part is when the actual composing of the music, which isn't so much technical as it is, well, it is, I guess, but it's it's really about trying to find the voice and through your music. And, you know, you're, I guess, you, you know, in, in, in musical terms, you're almost like an accompaniment to something you're, you're, you really are in the background. And I always think of mm-hmm. music as being as most important uh, or as important rather as, um, you know, cinematography or set decoration or costumes, all of these things, they just incrementally enhance your experience. Right. Um, and that's what music does too. You really don't notice, you might notice the costumes and then 
you once you know you first see them go wow look at those costumes and then that's you're back into the story you're not really paying attention to the costumes as much unless you're a costume designer you're probably taking notes mm-hmm. uh, similarly you know, <laughs> cinematography you know you might you might notice that but you're not really supposed to notice these things in the same way with music you're not supposed to dwell on it it's supposed to be part of the entire whole experience and so that's um yeah that's kind of what what it's all about i mean i you know i could i guess i could get into the minutiae of you know the schedules and how you the technical side but you know for for your audience who some of whom are you know I, i'm thinking many are music therapists or mm-hmm. and or musicians Students, yeah yeah and yeah. you know i i when i was in high school i was a church organist and i used to do that on the weekends and funerals weddings and funerals <laughs> and some, organs is hard organ is hard to play it was, so yeah. that's, that's impressive as a high schooler playing an wow. organ <laughs> I, was, I cheated my 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 footwork was always really poor. Oh. <laughs> and I often I the worst thing you can do as an organist is to is to mimic your left hand and your foot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be guilty of that sometimes. And to have <laughs> you know independence is obviously what you want to be able to do. And I, I I could sort of do that, but I could never read the three systems or the three. Mm, yeah, yeah that's yeah. really a challenge. Anyway, it's it's not my instrument. So, but. You know, when you're doing that, you could be, you're literally like accompanying something else. And that right. I, and so there are moments of improvisation in a, in a church service where something might be happening. Um, there might be, you know, a part of the of a mass where there's a Eucharist or there's, a, it's a funeral and there's incense or there's a prayer right. or something. It's quiet. I don't know. There's, or the people are just coming in and you, you know, you're, you're really sitting at the organ and I, you know, have a rear view mirror, literally a mirror, and you're looking at what's the action and you're scoring it. Um, ah, I, yeah. that's I interesting. Mentioned, I mentioned it because it's very analogous to the way in which I, I experience moving pictures now. And you just sort of almost react um, when you watch something and, you know, some of the stuff you react to might not be correct, but the idea of almost like a, uh, what's that you know the silent films where the piano player would sort of just react and 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 accompany the action right in a literal kind of way almost in a in a cartoonish way but that that exercise is very similar and so you know that's kind of how i feel like my roots are somewhere there but i i mentioned that story because it's a good way to to sort of to relate to the experience because frankly when you get into the technical side there are so many different ways to score films and literally every film composer has a different approach and there's not necessarily um, a universal way of, of doing it, but there is a universal way of thinking about the concept and that idea of accompaniment or idea of like storytelling and those kinds of concepts are really um, ubiquitous in the industry. So anyway, that's my, that's, my that's cool. Film. That's fascinating. Yeah, so, so cool. Interesting. We've never, uh, most of the, actually all of the people who we've featured on this podcast, they're like songwriters. songwriters. Or, yeah. Yeah. Songwriters. Well, you need to change that. Yeah. I know. Well, we're well, changing we it now. It's our 50th episode. <laughs> That's <Come> right. On. <laughs> might be the first and last. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, so I'm curious um, whether it's, film or um just you know what you perform what's been kind of your favorite thing to do favorite project that you've worked on or are working on if you can well talk about it's it. hard to say i mean i'm currently i'm very fortunate to work on a tv series that's been in um production for 15 seasons 
Wow. Believe it or not, it's, and I, I'm trying to think of what network it's on in the States. It's on in like a hundred countries. It's called the Murdoch Mysteries here in Canada and in the UK. It's, it's a detective show that takes place in sort of the turn of the century of the previous century, so Victorian era. And it's, it's a, it's a fun show to work on because musically um, I can go in all different kinds of directions and I've been doing it for, you know, there's a certain comfort level obviously with doing something for 15 seasons and we just literally started our 15th uh, this week. So that's always a favorite of mine to work on. I get a little bit of freedom with that show because I've, I've been there for so long, I suppose. And I, and I, you know, with television, you, you, you come up with a sonic palette um, sort of early on in the process. You're really trying to find the sound of the show. And you don't deviate from that too much uh, in the same way that the cast is generally the same. I mean, you have obviously some turnover, but you try to be consistent. So being consistent is kind of uh, welcome, <laughs> a welcome change in a freelance, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. freelance life. Um, but there's other, obviously other projects that really um, I'm attracted to and, and things that keep me busy and performing always is a, a joy. And I haven't been doing that lately. Uh, mm-hmm. I did have a lot of concerts just before the pandemic. So I felt like I got a real good run in before we shut down. Um you know, but truthfully, I mean, the, the, I was alluding to those concerts and the curating the, the those kinds of things for the Awesome Music Project. The Awesome Music Project has been around since 2019. We started um, World Mental Health Day of, of, that's when our book launched, October the 10th, 2019. And uh, so since then, I mean, that's kind of been um, my other sort of uh, pursuit. It really does take up a lot of time running a charity, but it's been really, really fulfilling. And there's, you know, you're learning so much just about all kinds of things from social media to charitable foundations to what makes people want to give, um, what makes people want to give back and, you know, what, you know, what makes people interested in what you're doing. Um, And then, uh, you know, to get into more specifically, I mean, just watching and learning about uh, music therapy and how it, how it works. And, you know, we, we, we started the project. So my partner, Terry Stewart, who's, who's my neighbor, um, he, like many other people, if you, if you think about, you know, uh, and I'll get in, I guess I'll get into the backstory if you like, uh, about why we started yeah. it and a little bit about, about the charity itself. But, you know, if you think about it, think about it for two seconds, you know, if you, the people in your life, you probably know somebody who's struggling with some level of anxiety or depression or some kind of, you know, just mental health challenges. We all seem to know people or have them ourselves. I mean, let's face it, we've all gone through a pandemic. So it's kind of like unusual. And, you know, I don't think anyone comes through something like this unscathed. And so we're all sort of feeling different emotions. And and so uh, my friend Terry um, was experiencing that in his own life, uh, in his own journey, different people he knew, some some close family members. um, And, you know, he was wondering, he's always been a music fan. He's not a musician. He's a... um, He's a senior partner at Deloitte, which is a big, big consulting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, he's the innovate, chief innovation officer. So as a chief innovation oh, wow. officer, what you do is you always think about problem solving and you think about what's the problem and how can I help fix this problem and what can we use to, to change it? And he was he was recognizing that, you know, one of the first responses to, to mental health challenges is to use pharmaceuticals and to use... Right. Um, which is, this is not an indictment of pharmaceuticals, but they're not always effective. And unfortunately in our country and to some extent in the United States and in lesser extents in some other countries, music therapy is not recognized 
as a first response. It's kind of a, it's always been on the periphery of, of healthcare. And, you know, we were wondering why that is. And, you know, there's been some more progress in England, in the UK, they have a little bit more of a priority with uh, art therapy and different types of therapy. And I know that in the, in America, um, the National Institute of Health has, has, you know, released a bunch of funds to, to, to provide more research and something to the tune of, I think, $20 million was announced over a number of years when we first mm-hmm. wrote the book. And so I was citing that as, as I was telling people about what we're doing, I'm saying, you know, we need to, to come up with more. Um, well, ultimately what we want, we hope is that, you know, policies would change by governments. And so the insurance companies and doctors would prescribe, um, you know, music, frankly, or music therapy, like this would be a great world. Wouldn't it be nice to know that, you know, if you had certain challenges, yes, you can, pharmaceuticals are great for some people, but you know, the efficacy rates are not always great. And the, right. the, some of the side effects, you know, one of the side effects in our, in the case of Terry, one of his close, uh, you know, people in close to his life was experiencing this and had, you know, suicidal thoughts was the side yeah. of, of the antidepressants that she was on. And so it was like, wow, this is, there must be a better way. And that's when he went down to a big research facility here called the Canadian, sorry, the Center for Addiction Mental Health and spoke to some doctors. And that's what, that was initially what we, we started the Awesome Music Project for was to, to get more funding around some of the, the neuroscience around music therapy. So, you know, looking at things like pet imaging and neurotracers, um, measuring things like synaptic density and male B proteins. So using almost like chemistry, like at the chemistry level to just come up with more empirical data to, to show to a policymaker saying, listen, I mean, we all know, and people listen to this, this podcast know anecdotally, of course, that, that music therapy is, is effective and there's obviously lots of research done, but to get to the point where you almost have to bombard um, these sort of institutions to say this is actually what you know we feel could change a lot of people's lives so let's right. make it more of a standard of care mm-hmm. and that was where we started and so we all the proceeds initially were going to this research and then obviously with the pandemic we, sh- we shifted to, to to focusing our efforts on creating digital music therapy tools to help in long-term care facilities where people were su- you know super isolated yeah. um and so we have a pilot program running in a few places where they use uh, the music therapist comes in occasionally, but most of the um, most of the work is done remotely. And, I, and I'm sure you know most music therapists have been finding out some kind of solution during the pandemic um, to 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 meet with clients online. Yeah, and that was called the Amp for Life project, right? Yeah, that's called Amp for Life. And so it okay. started off in a little place called Bob Cajun, which is a little town where there were there was a, um, a long-term care facility that was really hit hard. It had like, I hate to say, like almost 40 people of their 80 people in their population died. Oh, oh my gosh. It's just like devastating. And so we thought, well, this let's see if we can raise money in that community um, to yeah. pay for the program, which pays for the music therapist to come in, but also pays for the technology so they can have access. And then we've taken the contents of the book, uh, the Awesome Music Project, a lot of the stories, and we've we've you know, created videos of them. We've blown them up on bigger paper so you can read them if, if you're, um, you know, your vision isn't great. Another thing about um, in long-term care facilities, the stories are, you know, reading is in a book club, for example, is kind of a difficult challenge because obviously there's different cognitive abilities, but there's also attention spans and just being able to follow a thread. 
But when you have these, the stories in the book are all very short. They're all under 500 words. And so oh. they're really just little stories and you can just mm-hmm. talk about them. And there's often a story about a song that somebody will know and then mm-hmm. it just fuel a discussion around the power of music. And so that's how it all started. And, um, you know, that's where we are right now. We've raised $200,000 for uh, two different programs and we're sponsoring these kinds of programs in, um, in uh, well, there's a hospital not far from Toronto uh, that we're working with. And we're just trying to see if we can, you know, uh, scale up our operations to just affect more and more people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all you and Terry do and, and getting this started. And it's people like you that help people like yes. us, music therapists yes. out there, you yeah. know, be able to do what we love to do. And so thank you so much for finding that solution. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. We're trying Using our best. The, yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. That's wonderful. Awesome. So cool. <laughs> like, as I was mentioning, the, um, the book has a number of stories from different people. Mm from different walks of life. And some of them are musicians. And, you know, I was actually trying very, you know, trying to be deliberate in not getting too many musicians because I feel like if you have musicians talking about the power of music, there's almost like an exclusivity there where you, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. different for you guys, because, you know, you guys can play music. So I wanted to have a little more of a universal appeal in the nature of the stories. Um, but there are a lot of people who are, you know, in their professional life, aren't musicians, but they are still musicians. And one good example is this: the astronaut Chris Hatfield, mm-hmm. who who may be familiar to some. He, you know, he's he's got a bunch of YouTube videos of him on the space station. He was up there for I think he was up there twice, um, and on his second tour, he took um, you know famously he took his guitar up on uh, onto this uh, onto the uh, International Space Station, and he he did something which was really great. He sort of um, he used social media and he captured a lot of video and just talking about sort of almost more of a behind the scenes look at what's it like to live on a space station for six months. Mm. And, you know, because he's a musician um, and he, you know, he had his guitar up there and he did like famously, he did the, um, um, the David Bowie tune um, space oddity. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) You can look up that on YouTube. It's pretty cool. Um, But Around the time, just before we, you know, did this project, I actually had the, the pleasure of working with Chris, and that's how I met him, on mm-hmm. a very interesting project that he was doing. This would be in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was working with a friend of mine, Danny Michelle, who's a singer-songwriter. And Chris had this idea of, why don't I take a bunch of artists and musicians and filmmakers and journalists onto a Russian icebreaker up in the Arctic and uh, we will be on this vessel for three weeks and everybody will document and create something in this little mini incubator floating through the sea in, in a really stunning part of the world. And, you know, to hear Chris speak about it, you know, obviously everyone can't go to space, but the idea of being isolated and to be so remote on our planet uh, and to see the fragility of the planet and to just see spectacular you know, sites that you would that almost seem uh, literally out of this world. Um, yeah. He felt like this Arctic would provide that backdrop. And, you know, sure enough, it did. And so my friend, Danny Michelle was invited. I was actually invited to go along with him, but I just couldn't make it work with my schedule. Hmm. He didn't give me enough notice. Um, <laughs> Dang it. I, plan. <laughs> I got a plan. Right. <laughs> like a rare. I mean, so, so, 
off they went. And my friend Danny, what he did was he wrote songs, literally like with no studio, but with a guitar. And he, he made a studio in his little cabin uh, with gaffing tape and some some equipment, his laptop. Oh my gosh! And, awesome. and he recorded all the vocals. Um, and he, it's so funny because his his voice typically is a you know a tenor kind of voice, but because he was on this ship, and he was it was, you know it was loud on the ship. I guess I don't know. It was just he was in a very intimate place. I think he actually had a roommate, and he didn't want to make too much noise, so he sang everything pretty quietly into his mm-hmm. mic, and all the keys were about a little lower than what he normally sings. It was kind mm-hmm. of, when you're singing so like, funny. you know, late at night, that's kind of what happens. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he wrote a handful of songs, about six or seven tunes. And um, he brought them back to Toronto and they were just really uh, guitar and voice. And Chris mm-hmm. sang a couple, Chris Hatfield sang a few in Russian. Uh, he learned Russian. He was the, um, I guess he was uh, the, the NASA commander in, in in moscow for a couple of years and he had to learn and wow. i guess you have to learn a little bit of russian just to be on that space station you have to a, yeah the stuff right. that he tells you you know you have to learn a little bit of dentistry because there's no dentist up there and you have to, it's just fascinating yeah. i mean he's written books on it and the guy is a, a really a fascinating man to listen to mm-hmm. but anyway um danny brought all these songs home and i arranged them for uh, a small orchestra and created okay. you know arrangements around this guitar and voice uh, and that became a uh, a record called Kolebnikov, mm. uh, which you can find online. It's 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 Danny Michelle. Just Google Danny and um, Kolebnikov, which is difficult to spell, but start with a K. <laughs> <laughs> yes, K H. You'll find K-H. it. <laughs> Ends with a V. Yeah, <laughs> Michelle and K H. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you get close. It's you know it's on all the streaming networks uh, and yeah. It's a really yeah. record. It's different than most of the stuff. And, and, and um, you know, you asked me to pick a tune of, of something. I guess I could have picked a piece of film music or something. But I picked this piece in part because it relates sort of, um, you know, um, a little bit to, to the Austin Music Project because Chris is one of the storytellers in our book. And he was one of our early adapters. And, you know, through having his help, you know, other celebrities kind of participated in the project as well. Um, so I picked this also because because of that relationship, but also because of the fact that it's the closest thing really in in quote unquote pop music that I've ever done that's really related like sounds like film music. Oh, okay. So this piece yeah. that that, um, that uh, I, I selected for you guys to listen to is really it does sound cinematic. It, it tries to capture a little bit of the landscape of the of the Arctic. I mean this vast cold barren place which is actually teeming with life in some ways you know mm. on, under the surface yeah i mean it's just like you see and and you know to hear stories of danny talking about seeing um polar bears like literally standing on the ice near as the ship passes and the, their noses are in the air sniffing because you know they don't see people and they, they, right. they don't see ice breakers coming through through the water very often so it's just you know i i the stories were fascinating um you know, not just from what Danny was telling me, but just the other contributors, the other journalists and artists yeah. on board, who all created something as a result of this three-week experience. Yeah. Um, anyway, we created uh, this record, and uh, Danny and I worked on it together, and uh, we were really proud of it. And um, that's my story. <laughs> Love it. Great, great story. Leading into our listeners <laughs> to listen yeah. to Kila Kitsuk. Kilikutsuk. Yeah, I think Kilikutsuk. 
Yes. That's how you, how you pronounce that. All right. All right, friends, we're going to listen to Killa Kitsuk and then we will get back into conversation.
All right, that was Killikit Sook. Allison, thoughts? Yeah. Oh, I love I love these this type of music. It is so calming to me, and I was just in awe listening to you describe it. I had done a little research on the background um, because I thought the title of the track was so interesting. So I went and looked up about the Kilikitsuk people um, and that this was an archaeological site in Greenland. Um, and so I was just fascinated looking at all of this history and, um, and the discoveries that were there. But as you were talking about the project, I was thinking about the song and the first time I was listening to it and how it just sounded otherworldly. And it makes so much sense that when you were talking about um, Chris and you know, going to space, I was like, I, I feel that kind of isolation, um, very ethereal, ethereal, almost floating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's very icy. Um, it does have an icy quality to it. Yeah. I was trying to do right. that with the flute a little bit and some of the other um, bowed, some bowed metal yeah. sounds in there that just have a real shimmer to them, almost a coldness to them. Um, right. You know, that's kind of what I was trying to achieve. So I'm glad that it sort of sounds that way. Yeah. 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 So as you were, as you were describing it, I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense uh, just upon the couple of listens that I had with it. And um, yeah, yeah, I, if, for all of the tech nerds out there, they'd, they'd be interested to yeah. know that the, the core of that track, I took um, another vocal line of Danny's um, and I slowed it down by about uh, like a hundred percent, like a hundred yeah. times. Nice. Wow. <laughs> There's a really great program you can download called Paul Stretch for those huh. of you who want to experiment with sound. And Paul Stretch will take a um, three-minute pop song and turn it into like a 30-minute. Um, you know, game. there's like a lot of things on YouTube with um, with like soundtracks that they'll just right. slow yeah. it down, like the Harry yeah, Potter soundtrack. Justin Bieber tracks. And then they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like this really weird atmospheric thing. So I took yeah. that. I mean, that's, in the background, you can sort of hear it now and then. And I reversed some things around. I did a lot of just manipulation of yeah. sound. I just felt like this was the right. I mean, most of the record is songs. In fact, all of the record is songs with the exception of the very opening mm -hmm. um, and the very closing. There's a, the opening piece is called Inlet and the mm -hmm. piece is called Outlet. Outlet. Oh. <laughs> and there's in the middle of the record, and it actually is a record uh, when we created it, but obviously most people hear it in a in a stream so mm -hmm. it's in the middle of that is the this particular track uh, Kilikutsu. yeah yeah that's kind of the reason why i was so interested in it because compared to all the other songs on the record was this one was like yeah not as much of a traditional song yeah <laughs> um yeah <laughs> um but i was i yeah i was very interested in the instrumentation um and then how and also like the the uh, atmospheric and like environment sounds yeah. and how all of that just kind of warped into each other. Yeah. Well, Danny was like, you know, on the ship, he, he did a lot of recording just sort of like field recording uh, mm -hmm. of the ship going through ice of uh, the chains. Okay. Moving. Yeah. Uh, he would just turn on his tape recorder and walk around the, the ship on uh, maybe his iPhone, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> capture uh, just the different sounds and you can hear some, I think there's a loudspeaker on that. I'm not sure if it's that track. There are other tracks where you can hear some sound effects of mm -hmm. the loudspeaker when, you know, the public address system on the ship talking mm -hmm. to the right. passengers and just different things like that. Just the soundscape really of, of being on a boat. Yeah. 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 And I, I love that it, it kind of leads you. It, it, um, 
you don't know where it's headed. And so I felt like I was just on a, on a trip. Like it yeah. just, it kept taking me in different directions and. Um, kind of like being in a pandemic. You don't know where it's. It was kind of, it was kind of like being in a pandemic. Yeah. But yeah, it was, where, it was where we're going to do this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, but it got me thinking of like, you know, the, so some different things that we, we use in music therapy. And one of those is ecological music therapy. And so it's thinking about, the different sounds in our environment and the way that those uh, those soundscapes can affect us physiologically and mentally, socially, all of those different ways. And so I started thinking about the different ways in which I could help clients use ambient sounds and their environmental sounds um, to just explore different parts of their identity, different aspects of their mental health. Um, I mean, just the, the list could go on and on. So it got me really thinking about you know, just, just life and living in, um, in our soundscape and mm-hmm. how that can really shape us. So yeah. it was, it was a nice little reminder of that, that we're always surrounded by, by music in, in a sense. Yeah. 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 I actually, I do this little fun activity sometimes, um, with my clients where we just like choose five sounds we hear in the room and then record it really quick. And then we try to make a song out of it. Oh, that's a good idea. I like that actually. Yeah. That's a cool trick. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It gets your like creative juices flowing, but also it's, I mean, it's a way to understand your environment a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even if like, if you're in an environment that you hate also, like if you're in a hostel or something, you're like the beeping all the time, like a way to kind of reframe what's, what's around you. Yeah. Yeah. And make it something a little bit more meaningful. Yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share about um, this record or the Awesome Music Project or anything you want to plug? Yeah, I, I mean, I'd love people to check out what we're doing at the Awesome Music Project. I do hope we get back to South by Southwest mm-hmm. and maybe mm-hmm. sometime uh, when, when we can do that. We were invited to come and do the virtual version of that, but it didn't seem like the right fit. Mm. Uh, so, you know, uh, do, do check us out on social media. You can, you can visit us at the awesome music project.com and I won't, um, give you all the handles for social media. They're all there. We'll put it on the show notes. Twitter yeah. And Facebook yeah. and, um, and Instagram mm-hmm. and LinkedIn, awesome. too, I guess. But, uh, so yeah, just follow along and uh, see what we're up to. And, uh, yeah, that's all I want to tell you. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, guys, for having me on the show. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it, uh, the opportunity to speak about the Awesome Music Project and to speak to you guys and and to hear your stories. (laughs) Thank you for having us share. It's always fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, have a good night and uh, see you later. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Have a good night. Awesome.